Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. What experience in that long career path has been most developmental for you? My wife was the head of talent for global marketing. She uh, recommended to me that I understand my derailers. I'm like, what are derailers? She's like, derailers are the things that hold you back and you need to neutralize them. And I heard that from her. And then later in life, she's like, I'm not your coach, but you need to kind of make sure you get coaching. And I'm like, the word coaching was like, wow. And I think every marketer that is passionate, creative, and has, you know, a lot going on, which we do because we're special animals, coaching is valuable. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO podcast is Drew Paniyotu, the chief global marketing officer of Pfizer, the 100 billion by sales biopharmaceutical giant. Pfizer was founded in 1949 in Brooklyn, New York by cousins Charles Pfizer and Charles Earhart, and since then has become one of the most important global healthcare companies. Case in point, Pfizer and its CEO, Albert Borla, became household names during the pandemic as they brought us COVID-19 vaccines with unprecedented speed and scale. My guest, Drew, is no stranger to brands. He has worked with some of the world's best brand builders, Coca-Cola, the Walt Disney Company, Hershey's, Johnson & Johnson, and Google. He also had a three-year stint as an ad agency president and CEO at BBDO Atlanta. Drew emigrated to the U.S. as a child from Paphos, Cyprus, the mythical home of the goddess Aphrodite. It is only fitting we are recording this episode on the Mediterranean Sea at the Cannes Lions International Festival of Creativity. Here is my epic, get it, interview with Drew Paniotu. Drew, welcome to the CMO Podcast. You are my first interview of the week here at the Cannes Lion International Festival of Creativity. So how are you feeling this week as we start the week? Well, one, thank you for having me. I'm feeling great. You have your Diet Coke have here. You're Diet ready Coke. to go. You know, I just walked past how many beautiful multi-million dollar yachts. So that's <laughs> a great way to wake up. But no, it's just buzzing. It's always great to be around creative people. 
I love it. So what are you looking forward to this week? Anything in particular? You're on stage later today, I think. On stage later today. A little nervous today. about that? A little bit of adrenaline? Uh, a little bit, yeah. We're, uh, talking about creative transformation. Oh. It's the first time Pfizer showed up in, I think, its history this way. So it's the beginning of uh, a journey with the uh, creative community. And so it's going to be fun. So what's your main message on the stage today as you talk about transformation? I think, and this is one of the reasons I came into the industry, I've been mostly a CPG person, right? Disney, we'll talk about Coke, that later. Not, yeah. all of that. I feel like there are certain industries that people don't typically associate creativity with, yeah. but they deserve the best creativity. And to me, that's healthcare. So I started my career out of business school at J&J, left it, and have come back because now I feel like there are so many tools to make this industry like great from a marketing perspective and so my message is like this industry deserves the best of creativity even though people don't think about that when it comes to healthcare and pharmaceuticals i love it tell me about how why this is an important experience for your company especially internally for you to be here i, I suspect you're here with some of your colleagues yes and 20 years ago this summer, I brought P&G here, and it was the first client wow. to come in a big way, and now all the clients come, and the reason we came 20 years ago was to shake us up, to look at are we relevant with everything that's going on in the world. So it was a, it was a milestone in an internal cultural transformation to expect more of ourselves, of our agencies. So could you talk a bit about this experience here this week and when you go home, about why this is important for your company internally? Sure. I think... It's become really important given the fact that marketing has become more specialized, more technical, more digital. There's so much more stuff. And um, particularly um, when you have companies that have executives whose day job is not marketing, the more that you can bring your team, you can bring executives, my boss is here, oh, uh, who's super. the president of the business, they get to see everything that's happening. And I think it gives people an appreciation for just how dynamic marketing is what the potential is with partners like we've had a lot of conversations uh even yesterday uh angela who i work for met with bob Pittman at iheart radio mm -hmm. and she was like wow the amount of data that iheart has that could benefit us as we think about connecting at a local level around a vaccine business it just opens up the aperture and as a marketing industry we don't have that except for can i mean ces is a little bit of that, but CS is really a technology show. Cans feels like it's becoming like the marketing show. And uh, so I think it's really important to be here. It's the only place in the world where this happens. And there's something about the mood here. Yeah. Right? The collection of companies and people and the climate and how we're so together. Yeah. You know, everything is compact. So I think there's an energy here that's unmatched. Yeah, we're, we're, we're tight. We're yeah. tight here. Yeah, no, it's, it's good. Uh, it's uh, not sprawling. Yeah. Uh, you, I've, he I've heard you speak about the importance of creativity in life and business. And as I did my homework on you, you talked about that in several different forums. I'd like you to, to reflect on that for a bit as we kick off this interview, and especially when and how you developed that conviction. Was it at a company? Was it earlier in life? Was it a, a mentor you had? So why of that strong conviction on creativity that really, I think, brought you this job at Pfizer and brought you here and everything that you're doing up to, the, up to now? No one's ever asked me that question, and it's interesting. I'm processing, and you know, I'm like, I think I saw things earlier in my career, 
and I saw companies that may have been innovative but not creative. And and I and I say this, I'm probably one of the few people uh, that have worked for some of the most iconic brands in the world, right? J and J, Disney, Coke, Best Buy, Kodak, mm. and I think Kodak came to my mind because. When I, that's why I started as like a baby brand manager. And that company was highly innovative, but not creative. So say more about that. What do you mean by? It was funny. When I, um, when I was there as a brand manager, I had to do a project where I had to show that Kodak developed the first digital camera. So my job was to look at the potential for digital. And I brought in to the board, boardroom once what, would, what people felt about taking pictures with digital cameras. And the... The team back then said, Drew, like, we don't believe this research. The fact that people take all these pictures and not print them out, that'll never happen. And I think even though the company had all this technology and was very innovative, it couldn't be creative in how it thought about that technology Mm -hmm. and how it could live differently. And now we think about how many pictures do we take in our iPhone that never get printed. And I think creativity is the application of the potential um, in things. And so I think technology is technology, but if you don't apply creativity and how that technology shows up in the world, it never creates value. And so I think creativity is a value creator. And that's why I've become a big believer that no matter what the industry, no matter what, whether it's B2B, B2C, creativity is what creates value. It adds the dimension, it adds the texture to any bit of innovation. And so uh, a lot of the world talks about design thinking. I think in the marketing craft, it literally is creativity. Uh, Creativity is our anchor to creating value. Was the conviction, uh, you you told this Kodak experience, is that kind of, was there an aha at that point in your career and you just developed more conviction as you went into other jobs? Well, I I saw what didn't happen when you applied creativity Mm. to a technology. And then when I went to Coke, I saw the value of, creativity like like never before people say this like it's water with bubbles and flavoring and yet it has magical powers and the magical powers come from again how do you take this thing even though it's not technology per se and create value for the world and that value is through the emotional connection that the brand has created and keeps building and the innovation for coke is that emotional connection that people have to the beverage. And that's when I started to see the power of like, wow, creativity can really take you different places, even if your core product doesn't change as much. And, and then when I went to Disney and had a chance to work with some of the best creative talent in the world and be around people like Bob Iger, mm-hmm. we're just like, wow, creativity is a powerful force. And I saw the magic of uh, how it could take people to different places. So that was even another level of creativity. And so I've just seen great brands, great things happen when creativity thrives. And it's a fragile thing, though, because a lot of companies, you know, I've been in mostly big, massive companies. It's, it's challenging to let creativity thrive. It's a fragile thing and can often get squ- squished. And so I've always been a student of figuring out how do you keep it alive in organizations. Let's talk about your CMO role at Pfizer. You're about 10 months into it. Yes. And you've led a highly publicized pitch, right, in your first 10 months (laughs) in the job. So my question is, we'll get to the pitch in a moment, but did you have any idea 
when you were coming into this role that you would be consumed in the first 10 months with, I think, the largest pitch in our industry this year and one of yeah. the largest pitches ever. <laughs> Did you have any idea when you came in that was in front of you? No, actually, Ouch. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't. And I, I had it when I came to Pfizer, I had a playbook. And I, um, you know, this is like my fourth CMO gig. Mm -hmm. And I said, it's probably going to be my last. I wasn't necessarily looking to do Never one say more. That. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, yeah, I, I believed to create the change that the company was looking for, that we'd have to change processes, technology, and and the people around it. And it became apparent to me that there were more people doing marketing for Pfizer outside of the business and our payroll at agencies. We had roughly 9,000 people employed, FTEs, outside of Pfizer doing marketing around the world. And we have relatively 3,000 marketers in-house on our payroll. So there's no way to drive change unless you drive this massive ecosystem. And I've never seen that ratio before, but there is a lot of uh, work that's produced around our products for both doctors and patients. And I said, okay, we're going to do an agency search. And I've done that before in you know, both media and creative and production. And I was in an elevator with my boss, Angela Wang. I said, we're going to do this pitch. And she's like, how long is it going to take? And I said, oh, it would probably take about a year. And she looked at me and said, Drew, we created a COVID vaccine in less than a year. Oh, yeah, so, good for her. Yeah, yeah right. she looked at me and said, if we, if we can create a vaccine in record time, you can do an agency pitch in record time. And I was like, huh. And so we went from what I thought would be a one-year process to something that became a four-year process. It was four epic. Months. Four months. One of the biggest ever, global, media, production, everything. So the largest ever in record time. And it was, uh, I didn't know if I, we had the capacity to do that, but we brought in some great partners like MediaLink mm -hmm. to help us. And we did it. And we did it, I believe, really well because the feedback from people internally, our country leaders, our brand leaders, was like they felt a part of the process. They felt it was so complete. And so I think it goes back to this mentality that Pfizer has, which is um, light speed. And there's a book our CEO has written about this in terms of the, the vaccine development that had. And you just look for ways to take you know, time out of things and challenge convention. And so uh, we did it. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. So you had a great partner in MediaLink. Anything else that you did that enabled you to do this in such, with such speed and such effectiveness so I, not many people do a pitch of your scale, no. and especially in a few months. So I'd like you to reflect on your learning for our listeners who might be considering changing partners, opening up pitch process. What did you learn that made this work so well for your company at this size and scale? Great question. You ask good questions. I try. You, you ask good questions. <laughs> They're like, you're one of the best interviewers I've uh, been around. Well, thank um, you. No, seriously. I. I think the thing that I learned, it's interesting. I've 
done pitches before. You know, we did plenty of them at Coke and other places. And I did always feel like sometimes they they took so much energy, and you know, and you knew that some people were going to be disappointed. I think here the thing that we did right is we had a great brief of what we were trying to do, but the brief was very much about our transformation and what we were trying to build, and and it highlighted how agencies would have to work with us to do the work. So it wasn't just about the work or the creative, but very much was like we needed people to figure out how to partner with us and what would be the people and processes between agency and client that could enable transformation to happen like this that's never been done before. And so the brief was like really clear around that. It wasn't just saying, hey, we need more breakthrough work and we want to have advertising that does why. It was, yes, we want all that, but a big part of this is how do you think about the structure and process between agency and client? And I think that gave a lot of clarity to people to move faster. It's a great lesson. When I was a new CMO at P&G before we came to Cannes, we needed a lot of transformation, right? Internally and externally. So my CEO at the time agreed with me twice a year to bring our largest agencies together, media and creative. And for us to get in a room, not script it, and just share what we're trying to do in the business. Yes. And to seek their exactly. ideas on how they can help us with their different capabilities and their thousands of people on what we're trying to do at P&G. And I have to say, the idea to come to Cannes came out of that. At a coffee break during that time, the creative director at Saatchi and Saatchi came over to me and said, you guys should go to Cannes. And P&G had publicly stated before I was in that job that that's not our kind of place. Huh. And he said, it will just give people a different perspective on the world in which we work and live. And we did, and now CAN has changed, P&G has changed, and that was you know one step in the mind. But it was about, the lesson is, bring your partners in and share transparently what you're trying to do in the business and then pull out their ideas. Exactly. It's that transparency and, and admitting, you know, I think our brief is more about like, here's what's wrong with us. Yes, uh, yes. And, and so help fix us versus, you know, we want X, Y, and Z from you. And what you're, what we haven't been getting from you, it was more about like help fix us. Yep. And that's a humbling thing. I think I've learned in my career, you know, particularly on the brands I've been at, there's a whole lot of alpha that you get a lot from just being humble about, you know, what's not working and what you don't have. And when you could express that, I think, in the marketing world, it's amazing the people that show up. It's just a hard thing to do because we're all wired not to be that way. Yeah, exactly. Now, when we came back from our first year in Cannes, I remember speaking to this vulnerability. We looked at ourselves and said, it's not the agencies, it's us. <laughs> we're hard to work for. Yeah. You know, we, we brought in agencies who we did not work for to present to us when we came to Cannes in the first year about how they work. And we said, they work much faster. They're, they get stuff done. There's not multiple layers of decision-making. And so we just said, we got to clean up our act. We've got to have one point of contact for each agency. We've got to move faster. We've got to just do work versus debating it. Yes. And so that's what our commitment was to change internally before we asked the agencies to do something differently. 100%. You know, it's interesting. I say this. Having been a CMO a few times, one of the best things I ever did, I call it my second MBA, was to go on the agency side for a period of time. And I did a, a, a three-year stint as a president of BBDO 
was driven by personal reasons, but I'm really thankful for it because I think professionally it helped me understand what's how the other side works and it gave me an appreciation. And you know, there's a, a famous phrase and I'm sure you've heard it and I you know, heard it when I was there, which is clients get the work that they deserve. Yeah. And it, the light bulb went off when I heard that, which has stayed with me because if you're not gonna be a great client, you're not gonna get great work. So you have to be a great client. And I think I never appreciated that as much than when I did that for a couple of years and saw what it was like to be at an agency and, and how hard, I mean, agency work is, I have massive amounts of respect for people in the agency world. It's an incredibly hard job. They're passionate about what they do, creativity, but gave me a totally different appreciation. Yeah, it's always, a, it's all about people trying to do their best work. And if you're a client that supports that yeah, and is in there with them when they fail and when they win, it, it just makes all the difference. Totally. So you've done this pitch, you're here in CAM with some partners, new partners, partners that you worked with before, anything you're doing this year to cement the partnership, to do some things this week, you know, yeah. take, to take your relation, relationship to a new level, anything on your agenda with your new partners? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things uh, we decided to do is for our main stage presentation, that we enlisted IPG, who's our new lead creative partner, to kind of help us think about how do we give people a taste of what's going to come? And so we just said, That's let's, a good make, brief. Yeah, so let's make can fun. And they came back with something we're going to share later today, which is, I think, going to be fun and interesting. And we're actually spending time together. Artur, who's the CEO of Publicis, mm -hmm. uh, now we have a chance to just, you know, in the setting, just talk. And now that the pitch is over and we never formally thanked them and celebrated, we moved so quickly. So we'll have a chance to really have the teams meet each other on both sides and you know start the the softer side of like mm -hmm. okay we're going to begin this journey and interestingly enough you know i'm around the agencies that didn't win and so uh last night i was at dinner with the ceo of the one of the holding companies that didn't win and uh, i think equally important it was a chance although awkward right <laughs> it's like hey we're not getting married but you know uh we're getting divorced and and we're sitting next to each other and but I think this industry, one thing I've learned is relationships are circular. And so it was actually good. It gave me a chance to kind of, outside of the formal you know, notification of why someone didn't win, to have a conversation that was just more humane. And I think that's important because there's a lot of fluidity. People move back and forth on the agency side. And, when, and they all get it. They lose pitches. They lose more than they win usually. And they want to know what they can do better. Yeah. You know, in, in outside the formal meetings. Yes. You know, because they're always striving to be better and better. It's one one great part of an, an agency culture. So now, Drew, the pitch is behind you. You're here celebrating. You're on the main stage this week, giving a people a taste of where it's all going. Where are you personally focused now? I mean, I, obviously the pitch I know is consuming. Yeah. You did it faster than you thought you were going to do it. But now as you look at your year ahead, you know, where are you personally thinking about what you want to impact, where you want to spend your precious time? Yeah, it's a, another good question. And, and I've been obviously thinking about that uh, in particular. And I think it's the, it's, I call it the, the operating system of people now internally and how we apply that on our agency, our new agency structure. And we made a pretty big bet 
we didn't talk about it much publicly um, with Adobe to bring them in mm -hmm. as our core marketing technology partner. And so we have technology in, that's coming in place along with our new agency structure. And now it's really spending time internally on the people part of it and how our brand teams and the operating system of our brand teams now can be applied as the next layer. And I, I use this term internally called the lasagna. The transformation is a lasagna. The base part and the very first thing I did was focus on our core MarTech stack. And marketing has become a bit of a technology race. Mm -hmm. And we just didn't have the best technology for our marketers. And I'm like, we have to get that. And we made a decision on Adobe, and that's very important. And a few other systems uh, that help us listen to the customer, like Medallia. And base level of the lasagna, the next one is agency. It's the second level. And you know now comes the cheese, which is the people a system that will be weaved throughout both those layers. And that's where I'm going to spend my time. That's good. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website. And then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. One of the challenges you have on the culture when you want to make this trend? Is it collaboration? Is it the fluidity of moving people? I mean, as you think about, it's all, it always comes down to culture, right? And you're trying to create a culture where your agencies thrive, your people thrive, the company thrives. So what are the most important elements in your view for the culture at Pfizer, which is already strong? We got yeah. a nice window into that during the pandemic. But what are the areas that you really want to work with your team, work with your people to double down on? Yeah, it's a very strong culture. And uh, in similar to P&G, mm. people, uh, it's rare to have someone like me at Pfizer that hasn't been there for 20 plus years. Our marketing teams and our brand teams, I mean, average tenure is like 15, 20, 21 years. So there is definitely an orthodoxy. And you know, the company has been successful. And I think it's always tough to drive change when the company's been successful. I mean, it's not a turnaround. Mm -hmm. The company hit record revenues uh, last December. And you know, it's done great things like Viagra, and there's been mm -hmm. great marketing campaigns. So it's um, it's about now how does a company go to even higher levels? And so one of the things I thought about, and I think I've realized this from a, a generational perspective, it was, I was at Google prior to coming to Pfizer, and and I, and I have to admit, it, I was the CMO of a, of of a, of a division uh, at Pfizer at, at Google. And by far, I was the oldest guy, right? I was the CMO, and my team on average at Google was probably you know, 28 to 30. And it was different leading a function where there definitely was you mm -hmm. know, some generational change. But it was great for me because I learned how do you manage a different workforce and how do you drive change? And my generation is different than you know, generations of Gen X and Gen Y and Gen Z. And I found that the way that you drive change 
is to inspire people's desires to be the best. And so bringing that back to Pfizer, where it's not the same, it's probably more traditional to a Coke, where it's not you know, multi, multi-generational, that's skewed younger. I made this statement, which is, you know, yes, we are going to move to a global system, but people inherently resist its one size fits all, right? When you standardize stuff, people always at big companies that have been successful would be like, whoa, why are we changing? Why are we standardizing? We've been great. But my pitch was we're going to bring all these new skills and talents and not every brand team is created equal. And the brand teams that can run, go run fast and, and show what this technology and agency structure can do. And it's amazing how fast the change has started to happen inside the company because it's about people wanting to be their best versus getting a mandate from someone, a CMO saying, this is now how we do it, which actually, actually is not the right way to do it. And I think when I was earlier in my career, I thought, oh, you know, you, you have mandates. It's, it's CMO. But that's not how I think work happens today. And it particularly does not happen when you have people on your team that are, you know, Gen Z. And, uh, and I saw that at Google, which is people will run faster when it's about their own self-actualization and what they can do, particularly in the marketing space. And that's how things worked, um, you know, and I learned that. Uh, and, and it's amazing how you can still kind of reinvent yourself as you go through your career. But I'm like, that's how it happens today. Um, people that come into marketing in their 20s and uh, are all about what can they learn. It's not necessarily about what they can make. And, um, and so change like this offers an opportunity for people to like learn and do new amazing stuff. Great insight. Is that what your platform, I mean, I, I think any change effort I've been involved with at P&G, post P&G, it always comes down to the compelling case for change. And it has to be emotional and it has to be rational, it has to be personal. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like that's what you've done at Pfizer. This is about us all working to be better leaders, better human beings together with new tools to elevate the impact we're making even more. And that's very powerful. I think if, and that's maybe the most powerful case for change. It sounds like that's what the platform was. You have a very successful company, not a turnaround. Yes. But what if we could all be working a bit better? Exactly. And it's, and, and you have to inspire more. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, just as you were talking, I'm like, the other case for change I've had in my career was Best Buy, but that's because the wheels were falling off. Yeah. Like I showed up at Best Buy and all of a sudden the company realized- Some ways it's easier, right? Yeah. It was actually a lot easier because all of a sudden the company's like, oh, this thing, Amazon, now is taking it to us. And they sell a lot of stuff online. They sell a lot, lot of electronics online. And overnight the company became like flipped. And so that was my first CMO job, but it was operating out of a crisis. So people were willing to change because I'll never forget, I was walking in Minneapolis and there was an article in the Wall Street Journal and it said, Best Buy will be the next retailer to go bankrupt. That's a case for change. Not the case for change I want again in my life. The Pfizer case for change is really different. You know, record, record earnings, record yeah. growth, and now I'm here. It has to be about the potential of what we can do that's inspiring that we can also like accomplish amazing things professionally as marketers 
Yeah, it's beautiful. Hey, you've talked about your career path off and on now into this interview at the brands you've worked with. And I'd like to sort of go into that a little bit more now in this part of the interview. And it almost seems like your career path has been predestined. <laughs> okay, you came to America from Greece as a child, and you've said iconic brands in America were a fascination for you. And then you grew up and worked for a bunch of them. I mean, Coca-Cola, Disney, Hershey's, Chick-fil-A, Google. So I'd like to go back to when you were a kid. What was it about those American brands that fascinated you so much? It's a deep question, Jim. <laughs> it's deep. I, I have to tell you this. I didn't understand it, what was driving me for many years. And, and I have to credit Oprah Winfrey. Because mm. I was somewhere and I was, she was in the background on TV. Mm -hmm. And she said, at the end of the day, people want to know they matter. End of the day, people want to know they matter. And when you grow up as an immigrant kid in Queens, New York, my parents, you know, my mom didn't speak much English, nor did my dad, and he worked six days a week. You come to this country and it's like, you just want to know you matter. And when I would go through a grocery store, you know, you'd realize like the brands mattered. And so if I could attach myself to a brand, then I mattered. This is heavy. What brought your parents over? They, my dad was uh, in Cyprus. They, he went to culinary school in London. Mm. I was born in London. He became a chef, was there for about 28 years, and then came to New York and um, worked in um, some, some pretty interesting restaurants. And that's where I grew up. Wow. Grew up in a kitchen. But that was like my drive. And I realized that it. it's like I wanted to matter as an immigrant kid and brands gave me that identity. Then later in life, I realized, well, identity comes from different places like your family and things that are, you know, and I started to kind of just, uh, you know, everyone's on a personal journey, right? But that's where mine began. Are you a cook? Are you a chef? I love food. I try. <laughs> I married someone who loves cooking. We met at Coca-Cola. She's an HR professional, but she, mm. she's a foodie like myself. So we love food. So what do you remember from those days? What first brand in America do you remember having an impact on you? The first one that sort of stood out. I ask this question to a lot of people on my show, and it's always interesting. Well, it's funny. I ended up working for that brand, Coca-Cola. Mm -hmm. You know, Coke was very accessible in New York City. And then my dad didn't want me to lose my Greek roots, and he would send me to Cyprus and you know, Greece. And, you know, my grandparents would live in these villages. And in the village the thing that was like there that was a special treat was Coke. And, I'm, and it wasn't as accessible as it was in New York. And I'm like, wow, this thing is iconic. It's, it's in this little village that my grandparents live in. And that became, I'm like, wow, brands, this brand's amazing. So you worked at Coke and you worked at these other great brands. As you reflect on this career path, as you've done a little bit so far, what experience in that long career path has been most developmental for you? Which of those assignments or periods do you think you really developed into sort of the leader you are today? I know we're all a work in progress. We're well, all I was going to say, my, my story is probably massively unique because my wife will tell you the story, and it's, but it's unusual, right? My wife was the head of talent for global marketing. And she'd, she'd say this at Coca-Cola. She's like, you guys are just a pain. All you marketers are just like tough to manage. And she, I won't mention the name, but you probably know him, but I, uh, she was refereeing kind of a debate between me and my boss at Coke. And she's like, you're both, you're both passionate and 
you're both right, but you're both wrong. And she uh, recommended to me as talent, as a talent person at Coke, that I understand my derailers. I'm like, what are derailers? I have no derailers. She's like, derailers are the things that hold you back uh, and you need to neutralize them. And I'm like, wow, I never thought about that. She's like, you have certain strengths and you have weaknesses. You just have to make sure the weaknesses don't become your gremlins. And I heard that from her. And then later in life, she's like, I'm not your coach, but you need to kind of make sure you get coaching. And I'm like, the word coaching was like, wow, as a marketer, as an, you, need, you need a coach. Like you, you're an athlete, right? When I went to Best Buy, they, uh, I was in, they deemed the CMO role a high risk role and they gave me a coach. And that's when I realized how I could, I, that's when I really transformed my capabilities and, and my career became much more successful because I realized, wow, these are the things that I wasn't aware of that really were my derailers that would hold me back, but other people would see them. And I think every marketer that is passionate, creative, and has you know a lot going on, which we do because we're special animals, coaching is valuable and is in a career accelerator. And I recommend that to everyone. Once I got that going, my career became, you know, things just happened and accelerated a lot better. What were, if you could... If that's deep, that's uh, deep. You no, know, but if you're, if you, let's keep going. If you're comfortable <laughs> with this, what were your derailers and how did you deal with that? So a couple of things. One of them is, and, and, and I still try to like uh, be sensitive to this, is my wife's like, you're so driven that sometimes your feedback comes off as harsh. Hmm. And that was like tough to hear. She's like, you have to realize that um, how you say things matters. And, and it really affected me. And then I realized that, you know, once you get more senior, people don't necessarily tell you that. And, and that also got connected to something else that um, a wonderful coach at Best Buy, Joanna Starrett, she's with RHR, said, Drew, when you get really tired and at Best Buy, you know, when you're in these big CMO jobs, you can work six, seven days a week. She's like, when you're tired, you don't show up well. And so communication and how you talk doesn't necessarily, you know, it gets stressed. And she said, you need to find your zen, you need to do yoga, you need to be balanced, and you can't show up tired. And that's tough for someone who's always not wanting to fail, right? Because not wanting to fail makes you work hard, and mm -hmm. then you end up getting tired, and then you don't show up well. And so I learned that, you know, in order for me to continue accelerating my career, how you show up, how you communicate things, how people perceive you uh, is incredibly important, but they're not always going to tell you how they perceive you. And so getting feedback, checking in with people is super important because uh, I never realized how much that matters. And so, and, and it's humbling when people say, hey, you said something and kind of hurt my feelings. And, you know, in a, in a world of marketing where you need to drive, you know, a team sport, marketing mm -hmm. is a team sport. You just have to be sensitive to that. And so it's a derailleur. It never goes away, which means you always have yeah. to be conscious yeah. of it and, and make sure that, you know, you, the how you communicate. And it's funny for a marketing professional, right? Because we're about communications. How you communicate, how you make people feel is so important. And also, too, clarity. That was the other big feedback. When, when I became a CMO, there's so much complexity. At Best Buy, we had the fifth largest website. We had 
so many stores, thousands and thousands of stores, and then we had things like Geek Squad. The complexity of marketing um, was immense, and marketing's only got more complex. And so the other feedback is you have to simplify things and keep things simple and take the calories out. And that was like the second big thing uh, my coach helped me see is that, Drew, your mind is up here, and your mind is five steps ahead of everyone else, but you need to kind of just like take things and simplify them for people because you can't get an army to execute behind you if they don't know what's in your head. Yeah, that's so important. That's tripped me up many times. I'm, so, I'm, I'm I love concepts. I'm an ENTJ Myers-Briggs and I'm a hundred zero N. So wow. there comes a big risk with that. Exactly. I, I am very conceptual. I can see something I want, but I, you got to bring people along, break that's it down, nice. simplify it. That was the second big thing. She's like, break it down, yeah. simplify it. It's critical. Well, let's move on to the creative brief to wrap up this great discussion and let you get along to your main stage yeah, presentation. Yeah, fun. And then we're going to make this sort of theme creativity. First one is, what do you think are the two or three key things to leading a creative organization? Wow, great, great this question. This gets back to, I think, early in our discussion, yeah. we talked about the agency pitch. But what if you had to boil it down, simplify it to two or three things for CMOs, to focus on if they're really going to lead a creative, effective organization, what would they be? I mean, first, I think culture. You have yeah. to open the aperture to create a safe place for crazy, crazy ideas. I always say this. If you don't create a safe environment where people can just really put stuff out there that's crazy, you'll never be creative. And I'm really conscious of it, particularly in environments where they've been more traditional, you know, like a Pfizer. Yeah. You, know, it's, uh, you have to create that safe space. And that safe space allows agencies and allows marketers to kind of have the freedom to like go for things that people have never seen before. And the second thing, and I've learned this, uh, and I know it sounds weird, but let data unlock creativity. And I think when I grew up and it was earlier in my career, there was a lot of people that would say, well, this is better than that. And now we have so many ways to get data on a creative idea that enables boldness. So we don't have to be deciding and no one's opinion is better than the other. And if we can leverage data and what the world will give back to us, we can potentially have be bold in our ideas and creativity. And we can put a little sample in a digital landscape and get very quick feedback. And I think that is the second thing, which is using the wonder of data and technology now to liberate big, bold ideas so you have the courage and conviction and make them happen. What's the most creative thing you've ever done? Oh, well, it's a personal thing. I don't know if it's the, you know, work-wise. Uh, when I got engaged with my wife, I woke up someone who in the executive team at Coke and said I wanted to dress up as a polar bear and get engaged to my wife. Oh. And I'm the only person, oh, I think, that's only, good. definitely the only executive. I think I'm the only person who's ever gotten engaged at the World of Coke. And I surprised my wife by being a polar bear and the handlers took my head off and there was the ring oh, in my paw. Oh, that's so So I think good. that's creative. It's not, you know, it's probably... Oh, uh, that's so fantastic. Yeah. I proposed to my wife with a scrapbook I made her. So... That's good. It yeah, worked. that's good. Right? Whenever it works. the polar bear in world headquarters, but, yeah. but it worked. Yeah. It worked. Yeah. No, and I'd say probably creativity. I, I kind of learned the hard way and how, how do you do Super Bowl advertising and find ways to kind of get, you know, people uh, to accept an idea on a big stage and all that stuff. But... Yeah, the polar bear was equal, equal to a Super Bowl ad, you know? So what's the most creative campaign that you've been associated with in your career? Most creative campaign. 
or initiative? Yeah, no, I think it's a it's a super great question. I would say we had when we were at Best Buy, we were really trying to connect our people in a, in a tangible way uh, to what people did, and I kind of came in during this campaign, it was called 12 Force, which is allowing people uh, at our stores to answer questions around electronics. And you could tweet an employee and any one of our, you know, 100,000 employees could actually tweet an answer. And so I think it was creative because it said, how do you use a social platform Mm -hmm. to empower everyone in your company to do something that's valuable to a customer? And, and, and that was like the very first time, like, wow, that's a, that's a whole different set of creativity that can become powerful. There's a lesson in there for Pfizer. We can talk about that after. Yeah, I love that. Hey, I love, I want There's advice. Yeah, that's good. You know? All right, well. You're wait. like a goat, greatest <laughs> right. of all time. I, I had a, a marketing summit and Antonio Lucio spoke and, uh, and they call him a goat. And I'm like, you're a goat. So I'm like, I will take all the I advice. He's, a, he's you know? a goat. He's a goat. By the way, I, I run a program here for CMOs and he's my first speaker. He's great. Yeah, he's just he's going to set the stage for the entire program. He's awesome. Yeah. So last question, what's a creative campaign in your life that has emotionally moved you that, that you worked on or not? Yeah, I, I'll never forget this because I have it in my house. And I think it was done in France in, in, at Coca-Cola. And it's a bottle that, of Coke. And, ha, and it, you just see like the outskirt of a bed and just a hand reaching up. And hmm. I have it in my office. I got a copy of it. And it is not a, not a commercial, but an ad. And it is incredibly powerful. And it sits next to the second most powerful ad that was done at Coke during my time. And, and it's almost the opposite. That's a beautiful bottle of someone reaching. And it's beautiful. And you see the power of someone wanting a Coke. The flip ad was something that we ran in Africa, which had... Um, a bottle of Coke and a machine gun in the bottle of Coke and flowers. And it was meant to be, you know, a sign of like peace. Put the machine gun down, there's flowers and a bottle of Coke. And I thought it spoke so powerfully to some of the things that were going on in Africa. And both those things remind me that you can be incredibly creative and powerful with just an image. And those are the things that to this day, stick in my head is in terms of powerful imagery for a brand. Drew, before we end this great discussion, I'll give you the chance. I've been asking you all these thoughtful, tough questions. You have the chance to ask me one back. Great. Well, this is the question we're going to ask on main stage today. So you're going to be the first one that gets it. Oh. And the question we're asking the creative community, because we want to enlist the best minds in the world to help solve this problem. What is the one thing so the one word that represents the one thing that you would change in the health industry. Oh, gosh. I'll give you a couple answers, and they'll all be one word. Okay. Uh, first one is two words, consumer centricity, empathy, integration, hmm. and simplicity. I love if that. If you can do those, you will make the world a much better place. I love that. Those are great. And speaking from someone who's just torn his cartilage in his knee, just getting that little stupid thing taken care of, <laughs> just... Too complex, not integrated information, too much time. You know, so that's a small example of a small injury. Think about that. I mean, I I have a brother who went through leukemia and struggled with it for nine years, passed away, fought it nobly. It was hard. And for all the reasons it should be hard, but for other reasons it shouldn't be hard. 
No, that's great. Those are great words. Thanks. Thank you for this. Thank you. Nice chat. Good luck fun. in your presentation Thank this you. afternoon and in everything you're doing at Pfizer. It's important for the world. And I've loved following Thanks. your company over the last two years. It's been an inspiring story. Thanks. Great to be here. Thank Super. you so much. That was my conversation with Drew. Three takeaways from this one for your business brand and life. The first one, innovation and creativity are two different concepts. Drew spoke about Kodak and his experience there, where they had a great innovation in digital pictures, but did not have the creativity to imagine how it could be applied. Very important concept. Second takeaway, the pitch. This was a masterclass in how to run a pitch. Drew ran one of the biggest pitches in the history of advertising in his first year in the job. He did it with speed, he did it with inclusion, and a key factor for its success was transparency, sharing with the agencies what Pfizer was trying to do with their business and organization. And third takeaway, understand your derailers. Drew talked about the power of a coach in highlighting what could derail him as a leader as he progressed in his company. And I love that his first coach was really the woman he ended up marrying with one of the most creative marriage proposals I've ever heard. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.